Welcome nerds, now bracing for an entertainment incursion. Rolling Rockabilly Track Gearing you up with the latest in horror, video games, movies, and TV. Now scanning for infectious fungal diseases. Nerds, this will be your finest hour. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, this week's podcast, reviewing the first episode of The Last of Us and season two of The Bad Batch so far. Plus, we got trailer reactions to Mandalorian season three, and we're talking AEW Dynamite. And if today's episode isn't enough for you, don't forget you can get even more Amazing Nerd Show content on Patreon by subscribing to our $5 tier. Doing so, you'll gain access to our Best and Worst of the Week show. Though if you'd like even more than that, additional bonus podcasts will be available for our $10 tier that includes all of the other tiers' benefits as well. Find the link to our Patreon in the show notes or type in patreon.com slash amazingnerdshow to help support the podcast. All right, before we move on, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review, and if you DM us a screenshot, we will not only read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. Also, don't forget to follow us at Amazing Nerd Show. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning, potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. Well, Christian, it was definitely another light news week. Um, but with that being said, up first, we've got some MCU casting news. According to Deadline this week, the Daredevil Born Again series has casted Nikki M. James, who is best known for performing in the Book of Mormon and a starred in series like Severance on Apple+. But as to who she'll be playing, no one really knows right now, as Marvel is yet to disclose anything about the show on their own just yet. Along with that, there has also been rumors circulating that Isabel Furman, who is best known for her role as Esther in The Orphan, could be joining the cast of Agatha Coven of Chaos. This grew root when Parade.com put out an article on the series and surprisingly mentioned her in an undisclosed role. Like Aubrey Plaza, you have to imagine she's going to make a perfect witch in this series, if she does land the role, of course. Yes, absolutely. Um... Isabel is a fantastic actress. Uh, she killed it, no pun intended, in the <laughs> Orphans uh, sequel this past year. Uh, so I'm happy to see her get, um, you know, a role in the MCU. I feel like she'll once again knock it out of the park. Hell, it could just be the same character again in, <laughs> in the MCU. <laughs> I'm down for that. I mean, it says a lot for her talent that they chose not to recast her. Um, you know, even though she's in her early 20s at this point. So she's playing a little person d disguised as a child who's really an adult. As yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot to wrap your you know head around. And a lot of it was done with like smoke and mirrors. But she was pretty fucking convincing in a role. So I'm happy to hear that she was able to, you know, land a gig with Marvel because we all know that's where the money's at. But anyway, moving on, uh, we also have some news for the upcoming Marvel Thunderbolts film. Allegra de Fontaine star Julia Lewis-Dreyfus gave an update to Variety recently about the upcoming Thunderbolts film. Dreyfus claims filming for the project will begin this June for our team of baddies. She does actually describe the team as a group of fan favorite bad guys, which doesn't feel all that accurate after seeing the lineup. But again, we have you know speculated here on the show that they may be hiding other team 
members from us. Thunderbolts is set for July 26, 2024, and is said to be the final film of Phase 5. Yeah, I mean, besides the team reveal at uh, San Diego Comic-Con, like, we really haven't gotten any other details about this movie. Now, there's been obviously tons of rumors that we've talked about on the show about them going up against uh, either Sentry or Hyperion, which mm. I, I I absolutely want to see. Uh, but besides that, there's been nothing. So I, I'm hoping we get some more details soon because um, I'm really looking forward to this movie. I mean, the Thunderbolts is such a cool concept. And, you know, like you said, I, I, I'm also hoping that there's more to this roster um, because there's a lot of like cool villains they could you know use the film to like introduce us to. exactly and i feel like there needs to be more victims you know <laughs> <laughs> sure christian <laughs> i feel like most of these guys are going to survive this film all right, moving on, we've got a new report about the upcoming Friday the 13th series, Crystal Lake. This past week, fandom's Eric Goldman got an update on the show after Brian Fuller attended a special screening of Friday the 13th Part 3 and spoke on how Kevin Williamson, best known for the Scream franchise, is set to write an episode. Along with that, Fuller disclosed that Adrian King, who starred in the original Friday the 13th, would be making a return in a reoccurring role. And lastly, he stated that there will be a more modern score on top of score that will remind you of Harry Manfredini's from the original movies. Yeah, you know, Kevin Williamson actually has a new film on Hulu uh, called Sick that's actually getting some good reviews, so I gotta check that oh, okay. out. Um, and he's a fantastic writer, obviously, um, so I don't know. I I'm glad that he's attached to the project. Um, Adrian King is definitely interesting casting. Uh, you know, she was the series' first final girl, uh, so to bring her on board as a reoccurring character... Unless this is like a new continuity where Alice survived somehow, um, it doesn't really make sense for her to be reprising the role since, you know, we see her die in, you know, the first um, scene in, you know, the second film. Unless they've chosen to completely like retcon that, and that is a strong possibility because we're the details on what exactly this series is is a little murky. Um, we know that, like, all of the Friday 13th, like, continuity is in play. Like, all the characters and all the different storylines. So, um, but I can't imagine her being Alice again if she's reoccurring. But I guess they could retcon her death and have her return. Um, uh, and she's actually Jason's first real kill. Mm hmm You know? So, I... I don't know. I mean, there's a cool story there if they want to go that route. Well, I was thinking, wouldn't it be crazy if she got recasted as um, Mrs. Voorhees yeah. instead? You know what? That actually went through my <laughs> mind, too, because she would be the right age to play mm -hmm. Pamela at this point. Um, and she is a, a huge fan favorite, uh, you know, of the series. So maybe um, I haven't seen her in anything recently, so I don't know, like, does she have the chops to pull the role off? <laughs> uh, but that would be cool casting. But like I said, I mean, if this is a new continuity, there's definitely scenarios where I could see them having Alice survive, you know, and setting her up as, like, you know, Jason's, or Pamela's, I guess, uh, you know, Jamie Lee, if you will. I even believe, like, she's partaken in a few different, like, fan films, where that's kind of like the mm. case. I think there's one where she like teams up with like Tommy, um, you know, and takes on Jason. 
<laughs> you know, so I mean, that's cool, man. I hope they bring Tommy Jarvis along for the ride too. So I mean, he was, you know, he was kind of like the series uh, Doctor Loomis, if you will, uh, for a while. I have to there. imagine it's going to be like you know an after credits, like Jarvis is on his way. Yeah, for like a, sec- <laughs> a second season type uh-huh. deal. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> but at this point, who knows what the hell this series is about? I mean, details are murky at best. Ah. Uh-huh. So lastly, before we break down the trailer for the show, uh, we got a list of directors for the upcoming season of The Mandalorian. New to The Mandalorian this year are directors Rachel Morrison, who has been nominated for Best Cinematography on Mudbound, but also worked on Black Panther and more. Uh, Lee Isaac Chung, who's also been nominated for multiple Oscars after his film Minari, but best known for other films like Twister. We also have Peter Ramsey, who has had a lot of success in animation as he worked on the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse films and more. But also returning to direct are Bryce Dallas Howard, Rick Famuyiwa, and Carl Weathers, who also stars in the show. I think it's cool that they're bringing in new blood, but also having some established talent return to helm, you know, the season. I'm still holding out hope that Bryce Dallas Howard eventually gets her own, like, Star Wars film eventually. She's definitely proven that she could handle it. Absolutely, she has. I feel like all her episodes are always amongst the strongest of the seasons. But as Damon mentioned before, let's talk the brand new Mandalorian season three trailer. Our people are scattered like stars in the galaxy. What are we? What do we stand for? Being a Mandalorian is not just learning about how to fight. You also have to know how to navigate the galaxy. That way, you'll never be lost. So this was much more of a story trailer, obviously, compared to the teaser. Uh, We opened things up with Mando talking about his people being spread across the galaxy and pondering who they are and what they stand for now. During this voiceover, we see various groups of Mandalorians with armor all the colors of the rainbow. Um, It sounds like Din has decided to take more of an active role as leader now, maybe since he has the Darksaber, um, perhaps trying to bring all the clans together. I mean, I guess he, he has to find some type of purpose in holding that saber, you know, beyond him clearing his name so i'm wondering if this happens maybe after he goes to mandalore to seek forgiveness for him breaking his clan's rules um and that you know something happens that makes him see the bigger picture and want to reunite his people as a whole i mean that makes sense to me like he would go to mandalore and that's when he would realize he needs to bring everyone to you know together afterwards I mean, I could see a scenario where just being on Mandalore and interacting with more Mandalorians that he kind of sees his clan for what they really are, which is a cult of zealots. And that causes them to become like disillusioned. Finally, I think you underestimate, you know, his devotion to his clan and his beliefs. He could possibly turn everyone else. That could. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> We end up with the whole planet walking around with fucking helmet hair. <laughs> we then get a shot of Mando and Grogu in their new ship. Uh, it sounds like he's trying to teach Grogu what it means to be a Mandalorian. It's taking him a long time to grow up. You know, just like get him a little taller. You know, I know it's it's cute for everyone. They're like, but... they're, 
Yoda was like 900 years old and he was only like two feet tall, Christian. <laughs> and how how old are we saying that uh, Grogu is right now? He's got to be a, at least 100, I think he, right? No, no, he's like 50 something. 50, okay. Whatever. So I, I don't think he's had a growth spurt yet. <laughs> we got plenty of time. Listen to you. I mean, the <sighs> events of the show probably only take place within like a year at this point. Uh-huh. <laughs> Patience, Christian. You're asking too much of me. Yes, obviously. We then head to Navarro, monkey lizards and all. Uh, we see Mando doing his own version of the Predator handshake with Carl Weathers. And also in the background, there is a nice memorial of sorts for IG-11. Navarro looks like it's doing much better with grief in control now. Up next, we get a moment with Mando telling Armorer that he's going to Mandalore uh, to be forgiven for his past transgressions. Then we get some shots of ruins on Mandalore. Uh, we know some serious shit went down with the Great Purge. We also get a shot of Palimato waving goodbye to Mando. Uh, it looks like she's modified the N1 uh, since there's now a droid on board. The only reason I bring this up is because I thought she initially modified the ship so Grogu could have his own like cockpit um and now it looks like you know she kind of reverted it back and if that's the case I'm not sure why I'm sure he'll get damaged in either a firefight or something he's gonna need a pro called droid to help fix it on the way or something it, there'll be a why reason. wouldn't Palimato fix it then I don't know. Or maybe he needs the protocol droid to help him navigate to wherever he's going. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we can write this whole thing before <laughs> it comes out. <laughs> That's what we usually do. Uh-huh. <laughs> then we head to a city planet. It looks like they're celebrating something. There's tons of fireworks. Uh, we then get a shot of Dr. Pershing, the cloner. Um, I'm not sure if this is him escaping the New Republic somehow. Or maybe he's been, like, you know, summoned for something. Do you think this is a glimpse of uh, Coruscant? Maybe. I don't know, though. I mean, we've been introduced to plenty of, like, different big cities recently Mm -hmm. in Star Wars. So perhaps, but I'm not great with my Star Wars geography, so I have no clue. Uh I didn't see anything, (laughs) like, any landmarks that would tell me that it's definitely Coruscant. You don't recognize each building that, like, Anakin <laughs> fell past? There are plenty you know? of people out there who, who can do that, I but know. not me. <laughs> so right after this, uh, we see the New Republic uh, captain from the previous seasons warning someone about something dangerous happening in the Outer Rim. Um, people have been speculating that perhaps maybe this is the start of the First Order uh, taking place, but... I don't know. I feel like that's a bit of a stretch at this point. Yeah, I feel for something being mentioned in the trailer, I would assume it's something to do with either Mandalore or something going on with, you know, our main characters. Yeah, like there's something that's actually a threat to Mandalore, and that's why, um, you know, uh, Din is on his mission to reunite the clans. Um, so they can fight whatever, you know, is coming. You know, not to say that they won't show anything, you know, the first moments of the First Order. But I feel like we still have many years to get there just because, like, where we saw Luke just recently. You know, he's still very young at this point. Yeah, so. I agree. But I am also surprised with how much of, you know, the former Empire is still out there operating. You know, in the form of, like, the remnants. Um 
So I, I don't know. I don't know. Like it, it, maybe that's what we're building to here. We do know that there was a lot of contingency plans put in place by Palpatine. So I'm not too shocked to see this much empire, especially the amount of people that denied his death for a while there too. Possibly just building, you know, a new version of their, you know, yeah. But is selves. that all in Legends? No. Um, they technically consider the events of Battlefront Two canon in the actual okay because i'm not super knowledgeable when it comes to like the video game storylines um so there so there are people out there who believe the emperor's not dead at least not right away yes well this takes place years afterwards though Mm -hmm. so and we know that the empires or the remnants are like trying to figure out this cloning thing so i don't know it to me it definitely feels like they're trying to build to something uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's the First Order. Like, I don't think it'll take place anytime soon. I could see in like a season or two, you know, depending on how long the series actually lasts. But I could see the series ending with that like initial like formation of the First Order or like the realization that the First Order is a thing. Like maybe mm. a Snoke reveal of some sort. It just feels like we're connecting the dots to that. Or maybe we find out where they've been hiding this giant battalion of Sith troopers that just appear out of nowhere <laughs> in Rise of Skywalker, along with this huge fleet of Star Destroyers. Next, we see Mando pick up a dusty helmet, um, presumably in ruins. Uh, no clue what the significance could possibly be of the helmet. Uh, maybe it belongs to someone important from the past, or it's just a victim of the Purge. After this, uh, we see a flashback scene from what I'm guessing is Order 66 uh, with Jedi getting ready to throw down. I have a feeling we're probably going to get more pieces of the puzzle when it comes to Grogu's origins and maybe how he escaped and who helped him do so that day. Yeah, I can't imagine what the twist is going to be because you know there's going to be some type of twist during that who actually saved him. I just don't know who it could be. Like how it could be anyone of like super significance just mm. because like obi-wan is off planet at the time yoda's off planet at the time so what could possibly be the big reveal unless there really isn't one um i think a lot of people have just built it up in their minds so uh -huh. much that it's just like because we see so many of the bigger name jedi die on screen during revenge of the sith so i'm not sure like if there really is a big reveal but you know who didn't die on screen the librarian <laughs> it could be the librarian or mm -hmm. it could be a returning mace window i don't know <laughs> that would be crazy <laughs> just throwing that out there a super pissed off one-armed mace window then we get a scene on navarro with uh mandalorians including paz vizsla um battling some unseen force uh perhaps some remnants after that uh we briefly see some babu frick like aliens and then lastly baby yoda holding his own against some troll creature uh it looks like grogu has really honed his skills after training with luke uh but yeah that's pretty much it I mean, as much as a baby can, right? <laughs> You're just really harping on poor Grogu this, <laughs> this season. Huh? We did see him like jumping around like Yoda, though, in, in Boba Fett. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he's ready to go. I mean, he, uh -huh. he handles that troll creature with ease. 
Or <laughs> just going home and just happen to run into him, you know? Well, oh yeah, like the, he's in his cave. <laughs> <laughs> Way to be a dick, Rogu. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad that I still don't fully know what's going to happen in this season. Like, I, I have a small grasp of like he's going to go to Mandalore. He's most likely going to see something that makes him want to bring everyone together. But I think there's still a lot there that could possibly happen in the show as we've seen in previous seasons anything's fucking possible on the mandalorian that's that's true i mean fucking han solo could show up and i wouldn't be surprised Uh right (laughs) speaking of which since you know din is gathering up all the clans across the galaxy at least that's what we think he's doing do you think we get a sabine sighting Uh, It would be a nice transition into the Ahsoka series, right? Exactly. Like, I think that would be a good surprise. And I think we we need to see, you know, Sabine with uh, fucking Din Djarin, like, talking. Like, some interaction between the two of them. Especially since he has the Darksaber now. Exactly. She could definitely give him some guidance. And if something's going down on Mandalore, it only makes sense that she would be involved. Like, she's not going to sit it out, at least. Unless mm-hmm. she's, you know, somewhere across the galaxy, maybe with Ahsoka on, you know, their mission, you know, for that first season. Unless she, of course, is, you know, like the events of season one of Ahsoka is taking place during this time. So I guess that's one way to make sense of it. She could still appear. <laughs> no, I'm hoping. I'm hoping that's true. Because <laughs> I want to see that interaction, right? Do you think Din reaches out to uh, Boba Fett? Absolutely. He'll, he'll definitely be in this Does season. he get his own episode in the middle of this season? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they do that just to, like, set up his, you know, upcoming season. If there is upcoming season. <laughs> like, you you owe me, motherfucker. <laughs> you made me take a back seat in my own fucking series. <laughs> if he gets an episode, he's going to be in the back to tank again. He's not going to be the fucking back to take again, you jerk. He better not be. I don't want to see another fucking back to take. I mean, as long as he brings the Rancor with him and yes. he's charging through the oh streets. Oh my god. I don't know how perfect. they would transport that thing across space, but yes, make that happen. Yeah, but all in all, I thought this was a great trailer. And like you said, I'm glad that there's still some kind of mystery. Uh, to what exactly is going down here. Um, mm. I'm glad that this wasn't one of those typical trailers where they like show you way too much. Um, because, I mean, they've done such a great job in like surprising us um, and like over-delivering. So I like going into this season kind of blind. And as it says in the trailer, and as we know, it comes out March 1st. And now for the nerds review in progress for The Bad Batch Season 2. Spoilers for the first four episodes ahead, you have been warned. Rumors are more and more clones have been questioning the Order. Then they are traitors, like the Jedi. Well, good soldiers follow orders. So we're four episodes into the second season of Bad Batch, and so far... For me, the show's been a bit uneven. Uh, They premiered this season with two episodes that I thought were pretty lackluster. It honestly felt like something we got midway through the first season. Like, I don't know, they're on another mission for Sid and they're pulling a heist that supposedly could set them free. Um, And Hunter's still being incredibly overprotective of Omega. 
you know, besides Echo pushing them to do something more with their lives and get into the battle against the Empire, it just felt like these two episodes were more about reestablishing the team and the relationship dynamics. Um, they weren't bad episodes, don't get me wrong. And I mean, there was lots of great action, but for a season premiere, I think I just was expecting more. Uh, and then comes episode three, and it ends up probably being one of my favorite episodes of the series so far. It's completely focused on Crosshair and reintroducing Commander Cody, who is still very much with the Empire. Uh, we see them sent um, by Rampart, who is still a douchebag, on a mission to stop an uprising on a Separatist planet who refuses to recognize the Empire as their leader, Tiny Ames, takes the Imperial appointed governor hostage. Uh, we see Cody and Crosshair successfully complete this mission with Cody making this like heartfelt speech convincing Ames into freeing the governor who then, of course, orders her execution immediately. Uh, when Cody hesitates and seemingly is about to refuse, Crosshair does the job, uh, in cold blood as always. Afterwards, in front of a war memorial um, for the clones, we see an interaction between Cody and Crosshair where you get the feeling that Cody's starting to get disillusioned with the Empire. Then in what seems to be the next day, uh, we find out from a dismissive Rampart that Cody has gone AWOL. I thought this episode was amazing. Um, this is one of the most cinematic animated Star Wars anything we've gotten to this date. Like, from the foreboding tone, to the score that felt like something from Blade Runner, to the breathtaking animation. Um, it was just beautiful storytelling across the board. I mean, without Crosshair saying a word at the end, like, you knew exactly what he was thinking. And the fact that, you know, we finally get to catch up with Cody and see what headspace he's in after the events of Order 66, it's just everything that I wanted, you know, from this series. Just great stuff. And then episode four happens and we get Sid and some fucking glorified pod racing job. Um, <laughs> Just another kind of like nothing like happening episode. Um, besides like a hint at a darker side to, you know, Sid and, you know, maybe something, you know, in her past, um, which I did find intriguing. It just kind of felt like a filler episode, though. Like, um, you know, especially just after the high watermark set with the previous episode. So, like I said, for me, season two has been a mixed bag, to say the least. Yeah, they're definitely laying some groundwork for a big moment or arc with Sid based off of, you know, some of the interactions we've seen from the first and fourth episode, which, you know, I could take or leave at this moment. But I do have to agree. It felt like they were, you know, reestablishing the character dynamics in these first two episodes. I was also hoping to see a little something more interesting to be uncovered in Dooku's war chest that may actually play into the rest of the series. But at least for, you know, the start of the show, it was on par for what I expect from one of these animated series. Did it warrant a two-parter? Eh, but 
they clearly give Filoni Cœur Blanche with, you know, the animated series to tell this story in whatever way he wants. But that third episode was exceptional and a good reminder of what keeps bringing me back to all of Filoni's Star Wars series. There was something just so pungently dark about the entire episode and you could really feel Cody's dissension from the Empire growing from the moment we saw him. Just such a stark difference in tone from all the other three offerings we got. For me, this seems like what Crosshair's journey is going to be in this season, especially working under someone like Rampart. Rampart is definitely willing to not follow orders or go against Imperial Command, which I definitely think will bring him to odds with Crosshair. And at the end of the day, I'm still on the camp that you know, Crosshair isn't going to have much of a redemption arc, but maybe more of a just sacrifice angle for the team. I don't know if it'll happen this season or it'll be, you know, multiple seasons. I don't know how many they plan to do of this, but as a Star Wars fan, I am at least pleased for the return of the Bad Batch at this time. I hope to see more episodes like this in the future. For now, we only plan on talking about the show when, you know, bigger moments or bigger episodes happen until our season finale when we give our final grade for the entire season. And now for the nerds review of episode one of The Last of Us. Spoilers ahead, you have been warned. So I thought the first episode of Last of Us was tremendous. I, I don't know if it was a case of Walking Dead fatigue, but like the trailers just didn't do much for me. And I've never played the game. So I wasn't as excited as everyone else was when it came to the show. But like, obviously, I'm familiar with the acclaim it gets and, you know, especially for its story. So honestly, that was the real reason I decided to even give it a watch. And it, it didn't disappoint. Just a reminder, spoilers. Uh, but I love getting to know Joel's daughter up front. I mean, it's a real bold choice. And I believe you know, that's how the game actually starts off. Um, but like just having the first act really be, you know, through her perspective just makes what happens later on so much more devastating. And you kind of understand what makes Joel who he becomes later. I also liked that, you know, it allowed us to see day one of the outbreak and how everything unfolded, you know, before the time jump. The choice of the time period is also so smart because nowadays we're so connected through technology that news travels lightning fast. I mean, everyone would be locked down before lunch if this happened now. Um, so not having social media and smartphones, because I believe this takes place in like the early 2000s, um, just allowed things to slowly brew in the background. Um, in every scene, there are clues that something's wrong. We hear sirens and helicopters, and it just added this very like eerie slow burn feel to everything so like when shit does hit the fan it has a bigger impact 
Now, I won't lie, I wasn't necessarily sold on the idea of fungus zombies, and they did a great job of, like, introducing that concept in the very beginning of the episode. Uh, but yeah, I think in the long run, like, different is good, and it'll allow the show to really, like, just differentiate itself from other series and films in the genre. Um, and the transformation, you know, these people go through when they turn with like the frantic twitching um, and the way they chase after their prey is pretty fucking terrifying. Um, it actually reminded me a lot of like the zombies in Trains to Busan. Uh, but then like we get the 20 year time jump. Uh, and we're just thrown into this like broken dystopian society where from the very first scene, you know, the world is a very different place. We have some kind of like authoritarian rule happening with public executions for just breaking protocol. It's just grim and super bleak. Joel is just kind of surviving it looks like i i love that like we don't have tons of exposition up front uh we organically learn like through the story um what we need to know when it comes to where humanity is at right now um it's really just a compelling setup um, you know, dad of the year, you know, Pedro Pascal is just awesome um, so far. He wears the 20 years that have passed like on his face and, and everything that he does. He's grown cold and hard. And I'm just eager to see like how this new mission he has at the end of the episode protecting uh, Bella Ramsey's character like who's as charismatic as always uh will just end up like affecting him uh this is just i mean simply one of the better first episodes i've seen in quite a while no pedro really embodied joel i'm not sure there was a better person for the role and while we didn't get as much time with bella ramsey as ellie from the few short moments we did see i'm already excited for their characters to take this journey i know that before this show aired they released a statement on how they were going to be you know adding some elements to flesh things out further which was kind of met with mixed reactions from fans of the game but if the rest of the episodes for this series are handled with the same amount of care as the you know the opening of the game was in this first episode then by all means add away you know those moments with like the neighbors and going to fix the watch really were great additions to give you more time with joel's daughter making the tragic end even harder after like the fourth time i've seen it thanks to you know the multiple releases of the first game and trust me having the acting chops of pedro there you know perfectly emulating the moment and and all the shot for shot sequences made me as a fan of this story happy to see this gives me you know faith that they're creating an adaptation that will be enticing to new fans while appeasing you know their diehard fan base it's so far all blending together to be the strongest game adaptation i've ever seen but i'm still gonna hold that you know title for my like final judgment here as they still gotta stick the landing in all of this and also, as you know, Damon mentioned, the zombie element is being handled very well, which makes me excited to see how clickers will play on screen. And we have to see our group, you know, trying to stealth through all these fungal monsters. Which we'll discuss further in the upcoming weeks as we do plan on reviewing each episode as they come out. So make sure to join us next week for our next review of The Last of Us. And feel free to let us know what you think of the show so far. 
And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. Hey you, got bush? Well, you definitely do if you haven't tried the best products from our sponsor today, Manscaped. Taking control of your bush is important. These products are so good, you're going to be showing pride in your new bush-free yard. It's a fact that you'll have the best-kept nutsack on the cul-de-sac, so save big and be the most hygienic version of yourself by using our discount code 20NERDSHOW for 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Listeners, you know I don't got bush because Manscaped helps keep my rocket raccoon high and tight. Whether you're looking to go bald like an eagle or just in need of a safe trim, Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game. Listeners, the grooming package I highly recommend is the Performance Package 4.0. That's because inside the package is the Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is a bush's worst nightmare. This trimmer is designed to reduce grooming accidents and shave hair on loose skin thanks to its ceramic blades and advanced skin safe technology. No need for night vision goggles, this trimmer has a LED light to allow you to mow the lawn in the dark. It's basic landscaping. When you trim the hedges, the tree stands taller. The second best tool in the performance package is the Weed Whacker. This fine-tuned nose and ear hair trimmer will make sure your nasty nose pubes are under control. Instantly add some pep to your step with the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Spray-On Testy Toner. With a performance package purchase, you get two free gifts, a shed travel bag and the patterned high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped boxers. They have a bunch of other products on their website to help you maximize your confidence and grooming game. So listeners get 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. Kate Bush may be trending at the moment, but your bush needs some help. That's right, so make sure you're running up that hill and get 20% off and free shipping at Manscaped.com by using our code 20NerdShow. It's time to level up your grooming game with the ultimate bushwhacking tools from Manscaped. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. This week in gaming, the tech world layoffs made their appearance at Microsoft with 10,000 employees getting cut, affecting both Bethesda and Xbox as well. And in these sad times for those working in the tech industry, gamers are at least hopeful for some good news to come from Xbox this upcoming week on the 25th, after it was announced that a developer direct live stream would be happening. Xbox is promising an inside look at some of their you know games coming out in the next few months, listing games like Elder Scrolls Online, Forza Motorsports, uh, Minecraft Legends, and Redfall all to be shown in some capacity here. However, many fans have speculated more news would be coming for Starfield, you know, Bethesda's next big game. It seems like that won't be happening though, especially after, you know, Bethesda's Latin America account responded to a fan asking about the release date, claiming it would be announced very soon and that they are preparing for a special game event, which if you ask me, means that they're you know working on their own singular event for Starfield. But others will say that means they're definitely going to be at this Wednesday's event. But I really highly doubt that. If anything, they'll announce that they're having this later event for Starfield at a different date. You know, really stretch out the news cycle for themselves. On top of that, there's been some rumors you know going around the nets that seem to have started on the Defining Duke podcast that claim that the game may have been delayed for late 2023, which honestly shouldn't be too surprising with just how big of a game that this seems to be. Xbox promised a spring release, but a game this size will always have extra things needed to be worked on, and let's be honest, it's a Bethesda game. Most of these games come out buggy as hell, so the more work they get to put on it, the better. 
But either way, if I can be live for this event on Wednesday, then I will be to do some live reactions. So make sure to check out our Twitch channel as we are live every single weekend. Um, currently, I'm playing Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice and starting up Horizon Forbidden West this weekend. Um, Dead Space's remake is also coming out next weekend, and I hope to be able to pick that up soon to play it live with you all, but it may not be on the day it releases. Either way, to see us live, make sure to drop a follow today and catch all of our streams. And also make sure to stop by at Amazing Nerd Live on Twitter to get all the streaming updates for The Amazing Nerd Show. But all right, now on to wrestling. It's pro wrestling, son. Hey, brother, hey, Terry Funk ain't wearing no mouthpiece. Hell no, Terry Funk ain't wearing no damn mouthpiece. Bruce Brody ain't wearing no mouthpiece. Doing your little jujitsu, getting focused and shit. Talking about I'm focused. I'm kicking this bag, I'm focused for my match. Shit, that's where we different, boys. We a different type of people. We ain't got time to be focused. Focused. Shit, we live on a farm. We gotta get shit done. We ain't got time to walk around being focused. Do I look like, does it look like stable thoughts go through my mind? Do I look like a rational thinker to you? This guy, I guarantee you, he ain't no rational thinker. Shit, we walk in there on Dr. Phil, he shit is Damn, son. My bad, I thought you was finished. So before we start, uh, tragically, Jay Briscoe passed away on Tuesday. Just a huge loss for the wrestling community, to say the least. Um, even though I didn't follow ROH as closely as I should have over the years, uh, there's no denying the greatness of the Briscoes in my book. Um, they will definitely go down as one of the most legendary tag teams to ever lace up boots. And they accomplished that without a run in a big company, which is just impressive. I mean, in my book, the Briscoes are Ring of Honor. I mean, they were there pretty much since day one. And more than that, I mean, they're tag team wrestling. I mean, Jay and his brother just put on one of the greatest series of matches I've ever seen, bar none, just this year. But with that being said, um, our condolences and thoughts go out to Jay's family and friends. Um, rest in peace, Jay Briscoe. Well, let's go ahead and jump right into this week's AEW card. We started off this week's episode with Orange Cassidy defeating Jay Lethal to retain the All-Atlantic title. Um, before we get started, I want to say I feel like there should be a rule in wrestling at this point where we at least wait five minutes, five minutes of them fighting before any shenanigans start to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting a little annoyed with the like the match started. They immediately are showing the crowd and stuff going on yeah. there. Like there's nothing. You're happening talking about with uh, Satnam Singh and Jarrett making yeah. their way down to the front row, and then Dan Housen's there as the usher. Um, I don't know. I get what you're saying. I'm fine with it. With this match, I kind of expected the hijinks. Um, you know, yes, it was super busy, but I don't know. That's I, my like I wasn't like super stoked for a Jay Lethal, you know, Orange Cassidy match in the first place. Um hmm. so I was kind of more sold on the hijinks. Um, you know, more looking forward to the hijinks, if you will. <laughs> um it, it's not it's nothing against Orange, it's just I'm Jay Lethal out at this point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah, no, I I was fine with it. But I, I understand what you're saying. It was a busy match. I think they've done a great job of like building up that title. Um, as for the match itself, I, I thought it was pretty entertaining. I think obviously they're you know 
moving on to probably like a trios program, you know, between the two groups. I could definitely see eventually like Satnam teaming up with Jared and Lethal against the best friends. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's a good way to get him ring work, but at the same time, kind of like protect him in a trios match. Because I mean, the one thing that I will give him is that he <laughs> is incredibly physically imposing. I think he's probably the most impressive giant going right now in both companies. Um, oh, he, he's a big he's, man. He's <laughs> fucking terrifying. <laughs> I hope they've trained him well because it looks like he could easily hurt someone by accident if they have it. For me, match-wise, it was fine. I just wish that they had spread out things, you know, from the beginning. Uh, yeah, I, it just it, it was kind of a weird opener for me. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of expected this to be more like halfway through. I was honestly expecting yeah. Darby versus uh, Kushida to open up the card. Yeah, I was surprised to see the main event. Me too. And like Kushida has a name, but I, I don't. He's not like an established AEW guy by any means. So I don't know if as many people would be excited to you know see that match besides like you know hardcore wrestling fans. But I, I guess that's you know, really AEW's audience, if you think about it. It's a half-dead so. man versus, you know, a time god. I mean... <laughs> when you put it like that, I guess you're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, next, we had Top Flight defeating our AEW Trios champions, the Young Bucks. You know, before we move on, I, I do want to rant a little here. I think it's absolutely ridiculous that Warner Brothers Discovery didn't allow a- AEW to do any kind of tribute to Jay Briscoe throughout you know this episode like not even a 10 bell salute it's just fucking absurd especially since like right after dynamite they fucking aired dana white's fucking slap fight show a man who was caught on camera hitting his fucking wife just a couple weeks ago um just so hypocritical makes no sense i mean once again not to downplay the awful remarks that briscoe made on twitter you know I think it's almost a decade ago. Um, But like since then, like he's apologized multiple times. And from like all accounts, you know, from people who are part of that community, like he's made amends and he's done the due diligence to grow and learn as a person. Like if that's not what like like I'm all for holding people accountable. But if you're not going to allow people to grow and learn from their mistakes, then what are we doing here? What's the point? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I, I I just thought it was fucking absurd. I'm I mean, glad that Tony, like, after, you know, this episode of Dynamite went ahead and shot a whole, like, ROH tribute show live. Um, and I guess they're going to be doing something at the pay-per-view also. But it just sucks that he wasn't allowed to do something, you know, during this episode. Uh, it's very disappointing uh, that Warner is like this. Yeah, I mean, with, the, with some of their choices, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, if rumors are true, they're still contemplating allowing Ezra Miller to continue to play (laughs) The Flash after this film. (laughs) What are we doing here, people? (laughs) I don't know. I just The man has a cult, right? (laughs) Yes. And is out there, like, breaking into people's houses and fucking slapping people at bars. I mean, (laughs) I don't know. I don't get it. Uh, But did you get the choice for them to have Top Flight beat the Young Bucks? Uh, Yes, I did. I thought it was a good choice, actually. Um, I know some uh-huh. people were turned off by it because the Bucks just won the trios titles. But, I mean, I think it's time to elevate Top Flight, no pun intended. Um, I think, you know, their feud um, with uh, the Blackpool Combat Club 
started that process um and now i think this is like the natural progression i wouldn't be surprised if we don't see top flight challenge for the trios title um next um you know because they've teamed up with ar fox um recently Mm -hmm. in the trios division so it, it just feels like it makes sense um, and it should be a fantastic match. I think the um, commentary did a good job of explaining, you know, hey, they were just in a best of seven series where they were beaten down in all these extreme matches. It makes sense that if they were too tired to go up against a super athletic, energetic team like Top yeah. Flight, you know, I thought they you know, made it make sense. Yeah, who are super hungry. And, you uh-huh. know, I think Top Flight should be considered a team that could possibly beat the Young Bucks at any time. I mean, I think their first hmm. match in AEW came against the Young Bucks or they had a match like yes, soon after they debuted in AEW against the Young Bucks, which, which was a match that really established them as like an up and coming team. Cause I think the Bucks are actually the ones that brought them into the company. Um, so I, I had a feeling going into this match that the Bucks were going to do the honors for them. Uh, and I'm, I'm fine with that. It's time to like really bring up some more tag teams into the division. After this match, we had the gun club in the ring, um, shouting out about the acclaim. The acclaim came out to do their whole rap, and then we got two words: family therapy. Yeah, this felt super like WWE to me. Um, <laughs> I'm not looking forward to this. And they could, I mean, I think part of it's because we just saw this feud, right? Uh-huh. But I'm just seeing some yes. really cheesy like backstage segments. You know, taking place. Oh yeah, was the yes. therapist? Yes. Like, what was the name of the therapist <laughs> that uh, Team Helmo was going to? <sighs> what was it? Was like it was uh, it was a it wasn't Howdy. What was it, Christian? Do you know? I think it's I, coming to my mind, Doctor Shelby. I think you're right. I think it was Doctor Shelby. I mean, he was one of the better, like, reoccurring, you know, non wrestling characters that they had going for a while. So, um, yeah, I mean, hire that guy. Like, I- I'm sure he doesn't have, like, any kind of, like, <laughs> contract with WWE. They haven't used him in years, so. And you get a funny moment with Brian, I'm yes, sure. Yes, yes, so. you can have a great interaction. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> you can have Brian run into him, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, all bloodied from his match or something like that. And, you know, Shelby said, we have to have a serious talk. <laughs> <laughs> and he just yells no uh, for the first time yes, in years. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Make this happen, Tony God. All right. After that, we had a backstage moment with Hangman talking with Renee. Um, at first, it started off like an interview, um, you know, asking how he's been doing since the match, um, where he plans to go forward. Um, Hangman alluded to, you know, mending some relationships. And I guess we can all guess that that might be with the elite. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, it seemed to just go candid. And he was, you know, talking with Renee about Moxley. I did like the casual nature of this interview like as a whole because mm-hmm. it, it it felt like it even started very like candid like was she even holding her microphone it was no they yeah. were holding microphones i kind of like that yeah. it felt different than your usual like backstage segment um i liked how awkward it felt you know having her like interview you know uh hangman after what happened with moxley and everything um i bitched about this last week but i mean I just, I don't know, man. (laughs) I get this is part of his character to be this kind of like remorseful, you know, warrior. But 
I still want to see an edge from Hangman. The way the segment ended, it, it did feel like they were kind of laying down breadcrumbs for a future storyline with Moxley or the continuation of the storyline with Moxley. I'm kind of hoping we move on, though, at this point, And, you know, let's not drag out this, you know, reunion between the Elite and Hangman any further. Because, like, that's kind of where we're headed before all the mm-hmm. shit went down with Brawl Out. Um, and then that kind of got, obviously, put on the back burner. Um, so I'm hoping that, like, that they can just go, like, full steam ahead with that now. Because, uh, I mean, if you think about that, like, before you know all out like that was like the two-month build that we were getting you know that that was everything that like the whole like trios tournament was revolving around was hangman and the bucks and the elite um so i i would like them to revisit that but let's not do the slow burn approach like we usually do let's (laughs) just jump into this head first um that's if like this whole moxley and you know hangman program is on pause for right now have we have we seen the elite versus uh the blackpool combat club was that a feud that has not been a feud no and that would be an amazing feud. This is what I mean. I started to feel like there was a weird angle where they could do. And I, I'm sure we've seen this before, but it would be kind of like the fight for Hangman's soul where he joins back up with the elites. But he has this connection now with Moxley in a way where it might pull him towards, you know, almost getting that edge by working with uh, the Blackpool like Combat Like maybe Club. Moxley starts to kind of mentor him in a way or they start yeah. to partner up where he's kind of affiliated with the Blackpool Combat Club. Um, you know, especially with the way that interview ended where like it seemed like Higman wanted to send a message to Moxley but then stopped himself. Um, you know, maybe they now have a mutual respect um yeah but then yeah he's kind of like put in the middle between you know the you know the elite and the blackpool combat club i i could see that that would totally work um it feels very similar to what we got with like the dark order and mm-hmm. the elite but i mean the difference is the quality of matches that we'll be getting not to throw shade at the dark order but they're not the combat club right and a program yeah. of matches between the two factions really have the potential of just like bringing down the house like every night. So, yeah, I'm all for that. I just want the elite to reunite, though. <laughs> yeah, especially now since it seems like we're going to have a babyface Adam Cole, so you could really have the entire group together. Those many big personalities won't last forever, but at least for yes, a little bit. Yes, we'll see oh, them Kenny together. will eventually turn on them. I oh. guarantee. It. <laughs> After this, we had Ricky Starks defeating Jake Hager in a match that, you know, for the first half of it was all about, you know, who's wearing the hat. Yeah, it sure was. Um, And I don't know. I was annoyed by it at first. Um, Eventually, they got past it, and I thought they put on a pretty decent match. Um, You know, there's no denying that Starks is still really over with the crowd. Um, Hmm. You know, I'm glad that, you know, his character didn't take a step backwards after last week's kind of debacle of a segment um i am hoping this is another program that doesn't last forever and that's like jericho's mo right now when it comes to like his <laughs> programs like is this going to be starks going through the entire you know jas just to get a rematch against jericho because like why would he need to have the rematch against jericho if he came out victorious in their first match um 
So I'm guessing, you know, something horrible is going to happen to Starks here eventually. Um, you know, that's going to warrant him to want to go after Jericho again. Because right now it's like, okay, let's move on. <laughs> well, like even in the next segment, Jericho's already asking for another match with him in a tag match. Um, yeah, I forgot about with that. Him and Andretti, yeah, that's but... true. You know, so this is, is I, it is going to be stretched it's gonna out. Be, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like this is going to be Jericho trying to get his win back. Um, uh-huh. As long as Starks comes out on top, I guess I'm OK with it. Um, just as you know, like I said, as long as it doesn't take six months for him to do so. Um, I mean, as long as Starks gets his hand raised at the end of this program and it doesn't take like, you know, half a year for that to happen, I'm fine with it. I'm just still dealing with PTSDs from the whole Eddie Kingston program last year mm. um, where like at the end of the day, it was Jericho, right? Who, you know, stood victorious, even though, you know, he got thrown in the nest of barbed wire. Um, uh-huh. Apparently, Eddie was originally supposed to win that match and win the feud, but then they had to like turn about face because they needed Jericho to look strong uh, to go after the title. Um, I disagree with that, but whatever. Because in my mind, like Jericho should always be in contention, you know, to go for the belt. Um, but that was back to when Tony was like still like holding tried and true to his rankings. So yeah. whatever. I'm glad that those have kind of gone to the wayside at this point. Um, during that backstage uh, segment, Garcia and Guevara are still, you know, butting heads. They're at odds. They're both arguing over who should be um, tagging up with Jericho. Um, they no, no, no. Really Actually, up by the end, uh, Sammy's happy that Daniel's trying to, you know, team with uh, Jericho here, um, and he even rewards him with his own pair of leather pants. <laughs> 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 I've enjoyed like their chemistry together and everything. With, like, Garcia wanting to have nothing to do with Sammy uh-huh. and Sammy not giving a shit. Like, he, like, ends the whole, like, segment with him, like, hugging him tight as Garcia just looks completely dejected. <laughs> I just like the team names of Lay Sex Gods of Garch. Garcia Cho. Yeah, Garcia Cho. That was fantastic. <laughs> After that, we had Brian Danielson defeating Bandito on his quest for the world title. Or MJF, I should say. I love that this program is an excuse for Brian to wrestle his wish list in AEW. Um, mm-hmm. So we're just getting, you know, amazing match after amazing match. Last week, we saw him, you know, go up against Takeshita. And, you know, next week, we're going to see him go up against Cage. Um, and I could see, you know, Brian just licking his chops to go up against, you know, a big guy with like that kind of arsenal. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I'm digging this. I'm digging this program so far. And like I said, I felt like this was a great way to once again remind AEW fans just how fantastic Bandito is in the ring. I mean, he hasn't had that many moments to really shine, but every time that yeah. he's gotten a chance, like he's really won over the crowd. I mean, I mean, you could tell like more than half of this audience wanted Bandito to actually win the match. And the same thing happened last week. And that's a testament exactly, to Brian, yeah. like being so generous and being willing to put these guys over and make them look like a million dollars. You know, not many like top names like, you know, Brian would 
be willing to do that. But as uh, something we said off mic was it's impressive to see how much Bandito is able to get the crowd on his side with barely, you know, having any like emotions on his face or anything like that because he's wearing all this yeah, mask. No, I agree 100%. I mean, that is incredibly impressive because like he has to mm. use body language, you know, to really like stir up the crowd and really sell um, you know, what's going on in the match. So, I mean, that's not an easy task. So, and then on top of that, he's just an awesome worker. So with a huge arsenal and just some amazing feats of strength in the ring. And he's not like this physically imposing guy, but what he's pulling off, like that stalling suplex is, I mm. mean, is super impressive. So, um, yeah, no, I, I hope that Tony really gets behind Bandito and gives him more and more opportunities because I feel like the sky's the limit with a talent like that. Uh, speaking of masks, MGF had a promo right after this claiming that we've been getting a masked version of him over the last few weeks. And as things continue on, that mask will continue to slip and a more dangerous side of him will come yeah, out. Yeah, I think this was kind of like answering a lot of critics um, over the past week, saying that he's kind of regressed as a character. Um, that we're kind of seeing like year one MJF right now. Um, and I think a lot of people like after the serious tone of his last couple programs, um, were expecting to see like his championship reign kind of, you know, continue that side of the character. It's my mm. guess that he felt like he had to kind of like recalibrate his like approach um to you know his heel work just because you know he was getting so over with the crowd to the point where it felt like he was dangerously close to becoming a baby face whether he liked it or not mm -hmm. um so he's trying to give the audience every reason in the world to boo him whether that's you know being the ultimate like cowardly heel and literally like booking it for his life every time and Brian gets, you know, closer than 10 feet to him or just, you know, grasping at like low hanging fruit when it comes to his promos. Um, like, I totally understand why he's doing it. Um, and I also think people need to be patient because, I mean, this is just the start of the program and like the pay-per-view isn't till March. Um, so I, I feel like you're going to see different chapters in this saga. Um, so relax a little. Um, it's fine for MJF to be like a fully dimensional character, um, you know, and give us different aspects of his character, um, you know, throughout this program. But at the same time, like you don't want to have, you know, your heat turn into like change the channel heat where people mm. are just sick of you and, you know, don't want to watch, you know, your, your segments anymore. Um, so it's kind of walking a tightrope. Um, because there there have been a lot of fans, you know, online, and I think it's a vocal minority that have been, you know, disappointed with this title reign so far. Um, but the, I, I don't know what people were expecting. Like, this is the character. Like, he's not going to all of a sudden come out there and wrestle every fucking week. And he's not going to stop trying to, like, weasel out of matches. <laughs> So I don't know what exactly people were expecting. I don't know if they're trying to think of him as like this Roman Reigns style character where he's supposed to be, you know, tough at all times, even though, even if he's not having matches. But the character's but, never shown any like no. resemblance of that at any point. <laughs> so and, I, and it might just be people disappointed and thinking like they 
really felt like he was turning babyface and you know maybe they're turned off by the fact that that didn't happen or disappointed um which is fine i mean they have every right to their opinions but i don't know Hmm. this is this is the character and i feel like mgf still has a lot to deliver as a heel like i don't want to see him as a babyface yet so i was fine with the choice of him remaining a heel um and i'm fine with that because it seems like now he's switching gears and we're gonna see you know a more maniacal version of MJF, um, which is still very much in line with who he's presented himself as in the past. So, I mean, he's supposed to be a three-dimensional character, so I don't know. After this, we had a video package where Soraya and Tony Storm pretty much blamed everything wrong with the women's division on homegrown talent rather than, you know, stars that have come in from other brands. Yes, and while they were, you know, bitching about this they also were putting the blame for their loss last week on Sheeta um who was just kind of like sitting there confused still yeah it definitely felt like a heel turn was you know about to take place then we have backstage moment where Brian Cage uh was talking about how he's gonna fight with uh Brian Danielson um and then MJF immediately came out and offered him some money to break his arm yeah I thought this was well done I like the intensity of the segment uh, and once again, it, it plays right back into, you know, who MJF is, is as a character. Like, we've seen him do this before. Um, he's going to do whatever he can to get out of this match with Brian. And if it means, like, you know, hiring mercenaries to do his dirty work, then so be it. You know, it was funny seeing him with Brian Cage just reminded me of Wardlow and how he hasn't been on television uh, for a little bit now. Yeah, I mean, at least Joe hasn't been out there either. Um Mm-hmm. I'm with the pay-per-view what like six weeks away my guess is in like a couple weeks we'll we'll get wardlow back on the screen like start building yeah again. like i'm sure joe will probably challenge darby for that title um you know and i could see like wardlow interfering in that match after this we had tony storm defeating willow nightingale yeah i mean from the start of this match tony was absolutely working heel um, we had yes. Soraya trying to distract the referee, or she actually did distract the referee, which caused Tony uh, to get the uh, roll-up victory over um, Willow while holding the tights. After the match, uh, Tony and Soraya both like jumped Willow and started beating her down. Um, Sheeta just stood there looking confused still. I didn't like that so much because I feel like at that point... Sheeta should step in because it's not like she has any like loyalty to Soraya and Tony. So I don't know why yeah. she's not like, you know, helping, you know, Willow out, um, especially after she was treated so poorly backstage by these two. Uh, but whatever. Uh, we have Ruby come out and make the save. Um, I'm totally expecting this is all a swerve and Ruby's going to actually join up you know, with this group of like, you know, former WWE superstars, um, it only makes sense since we know that there's been like tension with like Willow exactly. and Ruby since the start, even though, you know, they teamed together to beat Anna Jay and uh, Ty last week um, in just a bloody massacre of a match, which is definitely worth checking out on Rampage. Um, but you know, even during that match, you could tell Ruby was reluctant to accept, you know, Willow as her partner. And I mean, they have this whole like odd couple, you know, thing going. But yeah, 
no, it's going to happen. It only makes sense that, you know, Ruby's on board with this team and it gives her something cool to do, I think. Um, I'm glad that they aren't dragging this whole angle out um, and they're listening to their fans because I definitely don't feel like this was necessarily in their original plans for Soraya. But due to some like ill-advised promos um, back and forth between her and Britt, um, this is kind of where they've ended up. And there's nothing mm. wrong with like riding this wave now. Um, you know, if you have this groundswell of support for all the AEW homegrown talent um, and a lot of your fans are seeing like these former WWE, you know, women as outsiders then so be it. Let's let's capitalize on it. I think it should end up being a pretty entertaining angle and will hopefully like fuel some serious interest for the women's division in AEW. I mean, I feel like there's so many like already like written in ways that they could do things. You know, I can see Tony completely, you know, yelling at the crowd for, you know, not being behind her title mm. run and focusing on Jamie the whole time. Um, you know, the next what the next pay-per-view is Evolution, yeah. correct? Re- Revolution. You Revolution. know, is it Revolution? Yeah, I thought it was Evolution. Evolution. The WWE, yes. Revolution? You whatever. went to the I Revolution. <laughs> That's true. Um, I can see Soraya bringing up that she's the women's evolution and doing all that stuff again and uh, really just bringing all the focus to that. I just. No, she's. I, it's no, it, easy, it makes more sense. Like she's part of the, the women's revolution. So you originally right? Yes, it makes more sense. That's our old thing. Is that you know what? I'm allowed to be wrong. (laughs) You're wrong. You're on the right track, and you derailed yourself for some reason. (laughs) 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 Yeah, she always says she, you know, she was the pioneer of the women's revolution. Mm. So, but yes, no, you're right. It makes sense. So, how do you think like the battle lines are going to be drawn? You got like Brit and Hater right on one side. Uh, along with probably eventually Sheeta, I would assume, and Willow. Mm-hmm. And then I would assume Willow, yeah, because she's been involved. This yeah, time. and then you have on the other side of the fence, you know, Soraya, Tony, perhaps Ruby. Do you throw Athena in there? I mean, that would be my guess, especially since she hasn't been on the main show for a little while as well. And, you know, we haven't been exposed to her on Wednesdays and this new heel character. Yeah, she's a doing. fucking killer out there. Like, I I, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, she's doing some seriously great work over on, like, Dark and um, Evolution. Not Evolution. Now, you got me doing it. Elevation, <laughs> whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, and she's your ROH women's uh, champion right now. So let's get her some. And that's another person that can easily be like, you're not appreciating yes. me as a superstar let's, here. Let's so. get her some screen time right now. And mm. I mean, she's absolutely looked on as a former WWE talent. Um, so it only makes sense. Um, do you think we end up getting a blood and guts match like a lot of people are right now fantasy booking You know, between these two groups? I mean, I could see them wanting to do that just because, it, especially since there hasn't been a, a women's one yet either. Yeah. So I could definitely see them wanting to uh, put on that type of match. And it feels like something that will happen organically, you know, since Mm -hmm. you have these two warring factions, if we do go that route, Um, you know, and then you could throw in wild cards like, you know, Thunder Rosa or like even Jade could get involved Uh, because who's a bigger Mm -hmm. homegrown talent than Jade? You know, if someone comes along, maybe they use this new like WWE, you know, uh, superstar faction to dethrone Jade. Um, you know, they cheat to beat her because they, they do need to eventually beat Jade. 
Um, and yes. that in turn turns her baby face and she joins up with this group. Um, you know, this this homegrown talent group. Um I mean, we thought Athena was was going to be the one for a little bit there, you know, after like several matches. Yeah, but. yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I ever really truly felt like I felt like when she first initially showed up, that could possibly happen. But after seeing the way they booked her, <laughs> it's like, uh, OK, well, she's kind of like an afterthought for some reason. So um, I'm not going to start bitching about that again. Um, but yeah, no, I, it feels like there's definitely a lot of meat on the bone here, um, you know, for the storyline there's so many different directions you could possibly go um so i'm i'm excited for it really well moving forward we had another backstage moment this time to was uh talking with renee he showed respect for danielson while also calling mjf an asshole i don't know if they felt like they needed to give him like the final word when it came to the whole mjf segment because a lot of people were complaining they're not wrong that it was weird that like Audrey like pushed him out of the ring so like MJF <laughs> couldn't like finish his promo even though like uh-huh. he was in the ring for a match that was about to take place. Um it felt like they kind of booked that segment backwards almost. Um so it kind of made him look, you know, weak in that moment. Even though like MJF I felt like was doing his best to put him over, you know, um even though once again I don't like the you know him bringing in race and everything like that or you know mm. dancing around it a little it just felt very Vince to me um i'm wondering too like since he is saying that he's got brian's back now if we don't get some kind of like tag match in the future like seeing brian and takesha like team up against mjf and someone else um you know, if that's going to be a thing, because Brian shouldn't need anyone getting his back since, you know, he's part of a group, right? With the Blackpool Combat Club. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I feel like this was more about like kind of setting up a, a future tag match of some sort. Which I'm down to see. But anyway, this leads into our main event where Darby Allen defeated Kushida for his TNT title. Yeah, I mean, to the surprise of no one, this was a pretty fucking awesome match. Um, I was interested to see how the audience would react to Kushida, but the AEW audience are pretty well-versed wrestling fans. Um, you know, they're all very knowledgeable, so you don't have many, like, casual, like, AEW fans, I feel like. Um, and they're smart enough to just Google him if they're not sure <laughs> exactly. who he is. But, I mean, he has also been on national TV recently. You know, he had that run in NXT. Um, so, and I mean, he is, I feel like a, a new Japan legend. So, I, I mean, people should know who Kushida is. Um, you know, he's no Hiromu, but you know, I'll, I'll take it. It was, it was okay. <laughs> you got to get over it, man. <laughs> <laughs> Never. <laughs> and Kushida is back with new Japan, right? Like he's a, yes, I believe so. I believe he resigned. Yes, he's just been wrestling a lot lately stateside. So. Um, mm. Yeah, no, I, I I thought this was a cool match. I love the fact that they could bring in a talent like Kushida. And at the end of the match, it felt like they were teasing, like, you know, we could see more of Kushida in the future, uh, just with his interaction with Darby. I was surprised uh, Sting didn't kill the Young Lions. I, I was waiting for that yeah. to happen. <laughs> it looked like he was about to. Also, what the hell was mm. going on with Sting's makeup? Was he doing one of those, like, hybrid things? That, you know what I'm talking about? Like, he had a lot of, like, black... 
It was darker. Underneath yes. the lights, and like it was going down his neck. I was trying. I don't know if he was trying to do that thing where he does like that kind of mix between like his and Darby's makeup. Um, but it, it definitely looked different. So I noticed that right away. <laughs> I didn't notice it too much on him, but I thought Darby's makeup was like one of the best defined skulls he's yes, had. Yes, you know his his. I can't believe we're talking about this, but his face paint <laughs> lately has definitely gotten an, an upgrade. I'm wondering if he's like bringing in like a, a different artist or something to do it for him every night. I wouldn't be surprised. It would be cool to have a like a local artist join him per city he's in. I don't know. I almost see like Darby as the kind of guy who has like an like an entourage of like artist types hanging out with him at all times. Probably. <laughs> Doesn't he like live in a barn or something on like acres of lands where he just like blows things up and shit and does ridiculous stunts all day long surprisingly a lot of wrestlers live in barns or on farms <laughs> i should say yeah they're definitely an eccentric group of people so. uh-huh. but all right that does it for wrestling this week join us for more aew next time well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five-star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by TheAmazingNerdShow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some nerd show swag you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts hoodies stickers and more and if you post what you bought and tag us on social media we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the united states all right make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling my name's christian and my name's david and that was the amazing nerd show